Hello and welcome. I'm Carolyn and you're listening to episode 10 of Behind Bars. That's right, it finally happened. Behind Bars has made it to double digits. Unfortunately, the children in this case wouldn't. I know, I know, no one likes hearing about dead children. But this case isn't the usual of abuse or parents killing off their kids. Not that that's a good thing, obviously. But today I'm looking at something much more mysterious. The day an entire family disappeared without a trace. Looking at the family from the outside, they were one of the most normal groups you could see. A mum, a dad and two young children. Their names were Joseph, Summer, Joseph Jr and Gianni respectively. They were financially stable, visited their other relatives fairly often and spoke with their friends and neighbours whenever they saw each other. This is why their relatives were so confused when they hadn't heard from any of them for more than a week. After a while, on the 13th of February 2010, Joseph's brother Michael went over to their house to check that everything was okay. When nobody answered the door, he went round the back of the house and went inside via an unlocked window. No one was there. He could hear the family dogs barking outside and left quickly, noticing one of the cars wasn't outside. He assumed they were out somewhere and would be back by the end of the day. That all changed when he received a phone call the next day. The call was from an animal control officer. They said that they would have called Joseph or Summer, but they couldn't get hold of them. Animal control was calling to say they were seizing the next day's dogs, since they'd been barking for over a week and had been left without food or water. As soon as he hung up, Michael called the police to report the family missing. On the 15th of February, the police arrived to search the next day's house. Like Michael, they didn't notice anything majorly suspicious. It did look like they'd left in a rush, because they'd left lots of food out, including eggs and two bowls full to the brim with popcorn. As that was the only strange thing in the whole house, they didn't really have anything to go on. The family were officially missing persons. One of the only things the police did find in their search of the house was a small surveillance camera owned by one of their neighbours for security purposes. It was at a low angle and gave quite blurry footage, but it was still pretty useful. The footage showed a van, most likely the family's missing Isuzu trooper, leaving the house at 7.45pm on the 4th of February. Because of the angle, you couldn't tell who was driving, or make any assumptions really. They put out a bolo, that stands for be on the lookout by the way, for the McStay's vehicle, assuming it would be at a friend's house or a hotel a few towns over. Everyone was shocked when it was discovered that the car had been towed on February the 8th from a strip mall car park in San Ysidro, almost 80 miles away from where they lived. It was very near a common port of entry between Mexico and the USA. It didn't take a genius to guess where the McStays might be. In fact, I'd almost say it was too perfect. The investigators set to work, trying to find any information on the McStays that they could. Dates, times, locations, you get the idea. They located the car that had been towed from the strip mall the week before. Nothing was damaged or had traces of blood, and there were no obvious weapons inside it. They spoke to lots of witnesses who lived nearby. With their help, they estimated the car had been in the parking lot from around 5 to 7pm, although no one they spoke to had actually seen the car arrive. Some CCTV footage showed the silhouette of a family with two small children crossing the bridge between the two countries on foot between 5 and 7pm that day. Everything was coming together nicely. 
Even if no one was saying it at this point, most of the people working this case agreed the family had probably run off to Mexico. As part of the routine investigation, the police also searched Joseph and Summer's phone records and checked their bank accounts for any activity. Nothing suspicious there either. Two details caught the detective's eyes. The last person Joseph called before his disappearance, and Summer's texts about her ex-boyfriend. Her ex, Vic Johansson, was apparently obsessed with her, and had a criminal record. Joseph's last phone call, at 8.28pm on the 4th of February, was to his work colleague, Charles Merritt. The police now had two theories. The family had been kidnapped, and or they'd been killed by Vic Johansson or Charles Merritt. Considering the state of the car, this was unlikely. Their other theory was that the McStays had run away to Mexico for some reason, abandoning their whole life. This was also pretty unlikely. The family was financially stable, didn't appear to be doing anything illegal, and according to their other relatives, Joseph and Summer were constantly going on about how they'd never take the children to Mexico because of the drugs and cartels. However, they did have some evidence supporting this theory. Joseph's search history showed he'd searched for several things on the 4th of February, including, quote, what documents the children need for travelling to Mexico and how to learn Spanish. Interpol was soon contacted and posters with pictures of Joseph, Summer, Gianni and Joseph Jr. were soon all over the place in Mexico and California. Every now and then, someone would call in claiming to have seen a member of the family, but none of these sightings were ever confirmed. Finally, in April 2013, the police stopped looking. Although none of the sightings of the family had ever been confirmed, they thought it was most likely that they were all in Mexico. If they'd wanted to be found, they wouldn't have run off in such strange circumstances. If they were dead, their bodies would have probably been found over the last three years. The San Diego Sheriff's Department officially said the McStays had gone to Mexico of their own choice in mid-2013. On Veterans Day of that same year, 11th November I think it was, a man called John Bluth made a shocking discovery. He was riding down a desert road just north of Victorville, California, when something caught his eye. He pulled over and, realising what it was, called the police. He would later testify at court, quote, It just looked out of place. The police combed the area and found two graves filled with the remains of four people. A sledgehammer was also buried nearby. I bet you can guess who it was. The McStays definitely weren't in Mexico. They weren't even missing persons. Almost four years later, their skeletons had finally been found. With no other leads, the detectives working the case turned back to the original suspects, Vic Johansson and Charles Merritt. As they went back through past interviews with the men, they noticed something odd about Merritt's mannerisms. It wouldn't have been particularly noticeable or important in the original investigations, but when you're working a homicide case, it suddenly becomes the only thing you can notice. Every time Merritt spoke about Joseph McStay, or occasionally his family, he spoke in the past tense. Remember, these interviews were taken back when the McStay family were only missing. In fact, they were done in the same month as they went missing. By talking in the past tense, Merritt was either very pessimistic or he knew they weren't around any longer. As the police continued to investigate Charles Merritt, 
several things came to light. To start with, Merritt had a criminal background. Nothing as bad as murder, but it was still a pretty long list, including felony burglary and receiving stolen goods. His most recent arrest had been in 2001, when he stole $32,000 worth of equipment from San Gabriel Valley Ornamental Ironworks. Finally, the police had a breakthrough. They discovered Merritt had been embezzling funds from his company, where both he and Joseph had been working in February 2010. Joseph's computer records also showed he'd written a large cheque of $4,000 to Merritt on the 5th of February, before deleting it less than a minute later. It was looking less likely that Joseph had actually written that. So on the 7th of November 2014, Charles Merritt was arrested. I can hear you all asking, how did he pull off the murder and stay hidden for four long years? Don't worry, I'm getting to that. Like I mentioned earlier, Merritt was in large amounts of debt, and in 2010 had been embezzling funds from his business. Joseph McStay found out about the fraud, or he at least suspected it. Fearing he'd be fired or arrested, Merritt broke into Joseph's house on the 4th of February. He tied them all up with tape and started torturing each member of the family for money and how much they knew about his illegal activity. He beat them all with the sledgehammer that was later found buried next to their bodies. Joseph's body showed his right shin had been smashed, almost to the point of falling off. His tibia and two of his ribs were broken. The sledgehammer had hit him in the head four times, leaving his skull fractured and him dead. Summer's jaw was broken in three different places from where she'd been hit. Her skull had also been struck four times, leaving it fractured. Their four-year-old son Gianni had been struck seven times in the skull, and the youngest, Joseph Jr.'s remains, were so decomposed by the time they were found that forensics couldn't tell what had killed him. It's most likely he was hit in the head as well. Police suspect the family were killed in either the kitchen or the bathroom because they couldn't find a trace of blood in the house, which would have showed up if they'd been murdered in a carpeted room. After Merritt had murdered them all, he took them and their phones to his car. Do you remember the neighbour with the surveillance camera that had showed the McStays driving off in their car on the 4th of February? That was actually Merritt's car. The angle of the camera was so low that you could barely tell the make of the vehicle at all. Right before he left, he noticed Joseph's QuickBooks account was open on his computer. He wrote himself a cheque for $4,000, but deleted it within a minute, realising how suspicious it would look. Even though he never printed the cheque, it was still recorded digitally. As he left the house with the bodies hidden in the back, he called himself from Joseph's phone to give himself the alibi that Joseph had called him, but he hadn't picked up because he was at a movie. He buried the bodies and the hammer by the desert road either that night or the next morning. The next day, he drove the family's car to San Ysidro, hoping it would be assumed that the family had gone to Mexico. Merritt was found guilty on all four charges of first-degree murder by the 10th of June 2019. He was given life in prison for Joseph's murder and the death penalty for Summer and the children. That was the case of the McStay family murders. Quite a strange case, that one. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. I, for one, found this case so interesting. It's not every day a whole family disappears, is it? If you have any feedback, questions or suggestions, go email them to behindbarsthepod at yahoo.com. While you're online, if you're not already, go follow this podcast on the social medias. They're all in the podcast description as well as the email address. 
Don't hesitate. I love hearing from you guys. See you all next week.